Hello and welcome to the ChannelBuzz.ca podcast. I'm Robert Dutt, editor of ChannelBuzz.ca and as always your host for the show. Uh, in the past, we've covered the changing technology behind 911 here on the podcast as we're set to update the capabilities of our emergency response system over the next few years. And recently we saw a new set of best practices introduced by the Canadian Radio and Telecommunications Commission, um, specifically that look at multi-line phone environments. Think schools, hospitals, call centers, most offices, basically any place where a bunch of phones all feed into the same number. Uh, the best practices aim to make sure that in any situation where seconds count, obviously, uh, 911 calls are routed as efficiently and as expediently as possible. We're joined by Alan Mendelson, Principal Consultant at Avaya Canada, to discuss what's in those best practices, how organizations can best implement them, whether these good ideas from the government are likely to become legal requirements over time, and yes, since this is the ChannelBuzz.ca podcast, we'll discuss how you can make this all work for your customers and maybe even find a few new service opportunities along the way. Sound good? Well, it's a great conversation, so let's get right into it. My chat with Avaya Canada's Alan Mendelson. Alan, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate your joining us. Great to be here. Um, so the CRTC has come down with these these best practices for for routing, handling, and dealing with nine one one calls in these kind of multi tenant or uh, multi line locations. Um, before we get into what the best practices are in particular, perhaps we can we can take a step back. And I, I think we're all pretty conversant with how things work when the flow is simply, you know, from, from my phone here on my desk in my home office through my telco to 911. Uh, that's pretty simple. Additional complexity obviously gets in there though, when you, when you're dealing with something like 911 calls where location matters and, and those sorts of things, when you're in a multi-line environment, can you, can you kind of help me uh, suss out, what exactly the problem is here and, and what the CRTC is is trying to address with these best practices. Sure. And, and you know, you really hit on it that when somebody calls 911, we expect that call to quickly get to the public safety answering point for the help that, that is needed. Um, you know, we don't even think about it, but uh, there are many things in terms of technology, process, people that all must be aligned to make that happen. If it doesn't work, it could mean that an emergency response is either denied or delayed because the call doesn't go to the right 911 call center or that emergency services don't have the correct location information. And to your point, when a call is made from your home or your wireless device, processing the call is pretty straightforward. But when the call is made from a place of business, a university, a healthcare facility and the like, you know, there's lots of things that can go wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into talking about what, the, what those issues are. The, the key thing here is that, you know, is the industry refers to these communication systems that serve these types of enterprises as multi-line telephone systems or MLTS. We've known about what these issues are in this space for years, and we've known how to address them. Um, what we've lacked is some consistency in people taking action. And... Um, uh, the CRTC recognized this, uh, they knew it needed to be addressed, they sought industry input through the Emergency Services Working Group, and based on that, that's the decision that, that, uh, that they've just really announced is the, with these best practices. 
And uh, they've asked all the, the stakeholders to help get the word out and to either adopt or use these best practices. Um, can you kind of walk us through what these best practices are and the uh, the the underlying issues that you touched on there that uh, they're aiming to address? Sure. So let me give you a couple of examples of, of some of the challenges that could happen. What if mm-hmm. somebody places a 911 call from one of these communication systems and they don't know that they're supposed to dial nine or some other digit to get an outside line. In fact, that is exactly what happened in the U.S. a couple of years ago when a nine-year-old tried to call 911 from her hotel room when her mother was being attacked. In that case, 911 could not be uh, reached quickly. Making a long story short, uh, it resulted in a $42 million wrongful death suit being, uh, being won. Um, and I'll note that that particular event was ultimately the impetus behind Kerry's law in the U.S., which is one of the, the sets of laws in the U.S. De- dealing now with um, 911 and multi-line telephone systems. Another example, what if a user is calling from a business located in Calgary connected to a headquarters system in Toronto? You want to be sure that the, that the call goes to the Calgary 911 center not to, to, to a Toronto call center where the system is located mm. and certainly not to a Montreal call center where maybe the billing address of that communication system might be. One last example, uh, consider the massive shift that's taking place uh, for people, for the workforce and people working from home. You know, it's, it would be best if somebody was in an emergency that they used their home phone or their cell phone to call 911 but we have to be ready for the fact that they might use their business line to make that call. So, you know, in all these scenarios, we need to ensure that the emergency responders get dispatched to the caller's home and not the business system uh, or or not not the location of the business system uh, or or the location of, of the business, but the person's home. So, you know, there's, there's more situations that can arise because of the unique complexities of how these communication systems ultimately are configured and, and how they're used. The good news is that these problems can be avoided and prevented by good planning and implementing preventative measures. It sounds like, obviously, we, we know what the issues are. Uh, we know the tools to uh, to make it happen. And now this is kind of starting to to codify it. Um, in, in terms of things... I can do as a, as a solution provider who's managing some of these voice systems on behalf of customers or installing or updating or uh, involved in the general management of them, you know, what are, what are kind of like the, the quick bullet points that I need to keep in mind to make sure that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not causing any of these problems that you've just uh, outlined and that I'm, uh, I'm sort of in line with these best practices. Yeah, exactly. Be, you know, and you know the service providers that uh, that deploy these solutions play a big role in this. The, the best practices really fall into I'll say three categories: uh, direct access to nine one one, proper routing of the call and dispatchable location information, and awareness notification. Let me define what what those mean. Uh, direct access means that a nine one one call. Uh, can be placed with or without a dialing prefix or, or suffix, regardless of what the dialing plan is. Obviously, you want to be able to reach 911 with the dialing plan, uh, and again, without any prefixes, if you will, if, if that's part of it. 
It also means direct access that the call be sent directly to the 911 center and not intercepted by an internal security post, a front desk or an operator who try and sorts out what's going on and then calls 911. The object is, nope, let's not have the call intercepted. Uh, let's process wise, configuration wise, make sure that call gets directly to the PSAP, the public safety answering point. Proper routing means that the call gets routed to the 911 center that serves the area where the caller is located. So that kind of ties into some of the example um, scenarios that I talked about earlier. Um, mm. and, and not just that it gets routed to the right center, but that the location information that's provided to that center represents where the call is physically made from. And lastly, awareness notification means that coincident with getting the call directly to the 911 center, which is what I described as one of the earlier practices, that in addition to that and in parallel to that, someone inside the location of the enterprise is notified that somebody called 911. And the reason we want to do that, the objective here is we want to trigger some processes uh, for to prepare for the arrival of first responders and or to empower people to take action to contain or deal with whatever the emergency event is before the responders get there. So, you know, we first and foremost get that call first going to 911, but then you want to have this parallel workflow with a notification application of some sort uh, so that people can start taking action even before the responders get there. Is there anything in there around prioritization of calls, or is that kind of addressed by the uh, the part where it's it's not intercepted by by security or other internal factors? Well, we we always want to consider that when somebody's calling nine one one, it's an emergency. So uh, by that, you know, it, it is a priority call. We've got to get the call out. We've got to get it routed to that public safety answering point and let them in turn deal with uh, the, the triage and the prioritization and determining what kind of action needs to be taken. Uh, in, in terms of the, the technical and, and configurational requirements here, I, I presume these are all things that are that are doable if, if a network, if an access point, if a, if a system is correctly uh, configured. Well, that, that's actually, you know, the, the, the key element here is that this stuff can easily be addressed with uh, the, the the way systems are uh, set up today in terms of how, how they can be configured and programmed, it's just a function of thinking through it and making sure that they're, they're programmed ac accordingly. So usually it's just a configuration uh, issue to kind of go through uh, each of these things to make sure that they've been set up properly on the system. Uh, there may or may not be, uh, you know, th there's various degrees of, I talked about in that internal notification, uh, which is also important, and there, there's various degrees in terms of of how um, uh, how how basic uh, or very robust those notifications can be. Uh, but ultimately, at, at its base level, need to notify that somebody has contacted 911, and these are typically all just configuration issues. Does does any of this, um, or will any of this need to to change or be added to as as the next generation of nine one one comes online, and and that of course brings with it additional uh, additional capabilities and and perhaps additional things to think about in terms of 
what's prioritized, what goes where, and how it gets there. Yeah, so next generation 911 is just being introduced in Canada. We haven't had, in terms of the 911 services, uh, major changes to it for many, many years. And the 911 service providers in Canada, Bell, TELUS, and SASTEL, um, they're in the process, in fact, they have now uh, updated uh, the, the networks to support next generation 911. And these contact centers are now uh, going through the process of onboarding and transitioning uh, their operations to NextGen 911. One of the things that NextGen 911 will introduce is the ability to provide additional data to the public safety answering point. Today, they get any alley number and location information. Um, and one of the opportunities with Next Generation 911 as it relates to these multi-line telephone systems is the ability to provide additional data, data such as uh, key contacts, data such as uh, hazardous uh, materials, uh, data such as uh, what's the estimated population of the space where the emergency is taking place, which might be important uh, in a fire situation. Uh, it could be information such as uh, this is the entrance you wanna go to, to this facility or building which is closest to a, having a gurney accessible elevator, which would be important mm. if it's a medical situation. So instead of perhaps going to the front entrance, this additional data would direct uh, you know, such an emergency response to go to the back entrance where the service elevator is and you can easily get, get the gurney in there. So lots of things that contextually can be added to the information set that the public safety agency, the first responders have at their disposal to be able to increase the speed, the efficiency and the effectiveness of the emergency response that's necessary. That will come and that's an, an enhancement, as I said earlier, in terms of mm -hmm. um, the, the options that are available in terms of notification, both internally, as well as being able to increase the kind of information that you can share with the public safety agencies. So th those sorts of things are going to come on board as Canada evolves to next generation 911. And presumably will be uh, included in, in future best practices in, in that regard as they become more common. And, and Exactly. Uh, what what's the typical path look like for these? I mean, as as you said, we're at the point where the, these have been published by the CRTC, and uh, it's it's seeking the help of of those who uh, run, install, and manage these kinds of systems to make sure they're meeting these best practices. Uh, at what point, or does it, this go from being this is what you should do to thou shalt? Right. Well, uh, so. In the decision that the CRTC brought down with these practices, one of the actions that are in there for the uh, network service providers uh, is they have asked them that by March of, of next year, March of 2023, that they update their service agreements to point uh, the, um, the, the owner operators of these systems that are going to contract for trunking services those agreements are going to point to those best practices. So there's a, there's a variety of actions that are being uh, taken now to, uh, to publicize uh, and point people to these practices. Um, one of the other elements that um, was in this decision was the plan for the CRTC to have a notice of consultation 
out to the industry and we've already begun having conversations about uh, who should be included in that. Ultimately, to talk about, um, uh, you know, what are the next steps to, to your point of, of trying to code, really codify these things? Uh, so, uh, you know, getting it into codes and standards and, and possibly even laws as, as the U.S. has. You know, my thinking, for instance, is, you know, if, if the fire code, for example, can dictate how doors should operate and elevators should operate within a building or facility uh, in an emergency event, um, you know, why shouldn't, you know, that or similar codes dictate uh, how calls to 911 uh, should be uh, dictated to operate. And it, it certainly sounds like, um, given that it is, it's primarily a, a configuration issue and just making sure that things are, are doing what they should be doing, um, it seems like it would be a good time now for those who are running slash managing these kinds of networks to, uh, to be going in and just taking that look and making sure everything's, uh, everything's in line, everything's doing what it should be doing. It, exactly. It, it's not really that difficult. And, and um, you know, to be honest, uh, we feel that this is, uh, you know, it's a really important issue. Lives and property are at stake here. Uh, and if the service providers uh, can't do it, you know, Avaya will provide a free 911 audit for uh, these multi-line telephone system uh, operators and owners, and in conjunction certainly with, with our channel partners, we'll provide a free audit to these customers. It's really not difficult to go through go through it. Let's just take the action to do so. Um, so, uh, you know, identify you know where things may not be uh, set up quite right, and then take the action to uh, to put corrective measures in place. And by the way, I it's can uh, I, I can provide you a link after uh, today uh, to put into the podcast notes uh, where people can uh, can reach out and request that free audit. All right. We shall make sure those are in uh, in the notes and uh, the story that accompanies uh, accompanies this piece. And those kinds of those kinds of audit services are always uh, pretty successful in the channel, both from the, the point of positioning a partner well in terms of being a, a thought leader and someone who's got the, their customers' businesses' best interests in mind, as well as potentially sur- uh, surfacing new opportunities. So uh, something that I think partners would be, be well know, served it, to, uh, to look at and think of. Uh, yeah, from a from a channel perspective, absolutely. It, it, it's a simple conversation to be had. It's welcomed. Uh, you, when the channel does this, uh, they're put in a, a stronger um, uh, consultative uh, uh, light. Uh, and uh, as you say, it often opens up the doors to uh, to new uh, opportunities uh, to uh, to do some add-on uh, sales and services. So that you know, that, that typically does become a fallout from those kinds of conversations. Uh, anything else that channel partners need to know about the, the changing landscape of, of 911 and, and these best practices in particular? Well, what, one that, that, that it's, it's easy to do to, to at least cover off the basics. There are some value-added solutions uh, that, uh, that, that might be introduced that create some, uh, some sales opportunities. Um, and, um, you know, as uh, entities are moving from traditional uh, customer prem environments to, uh, to cloud and hybrid environments, uh, work from home, there's lots of kind of, I'll say, relatively newer complexities 
uh, in all of this. And again, it's pretty easy to address if you just take a moment to, to think it through. And that's what these practices are, practices are designed to do. Again, appreciate your taking the time. Thanks for uh, educating us on uh, what's to come of uh, getting 911 ready for, uh, for these kinds of environments. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having me. There you have it, a rundown on those new 911 best practices and what they mean for you and your customers, courtesy of Alan Mendelson. I'd like to thank Alan for joining us for the podcast, thank Avaya for their ongoing support of the site, and of course, thank you for listening today. The ChannelBuzz.ca podcast will be back soon and will be joined by Tony Anscombe from ESET to discuss cyber resiliency, what it is, what all it entails, and how you can make sure your customers are ready for whatever may come at them. And that means way more than just a ransomware attack. Until then, I'm Robert Dutt for ChannelBuzz.ca. Stay safe out there and I'll see you around the channel. Mm-hmm.